All right, welcome everybody to this week's edition of Basketball 201. I'm your host, Jared Morris, here with Ben Ladner. Uh, and Ben, today we are going to reflect on happier times. It's, it's been a rough few weeks for Indiana fans. And, you know, I think a lot of fans have kind of spent time after six straight losses looking back and being like, wait a minute, didn't we beat Marquette by a lot and look really good doing it? And so we kind of decided that maybe let's take a, a look back at that game and try to remember what Indiana was doing well back then in contrast with some of the things that are really going wrong right now. Yeah, it's been really crazy um, just just kind of how quickly things have devolved, you know, because like a, a month ago, Indiana was what, 12 and two, hadn't lost consecutive games all season. They were, you know, Jawan Morgan was getting a triple double, you know, they they. Rob Finnessy knocked off Butler with a huge shot. You talked about the Marquette win before that. A close loss to Arkansas that very easily could have gone IU's way. And really the only big blemish you saw was the Duke game. And it was kind of like, okay, there's some optimism. You know, we can, like, th- this can really go somewhere. And then the Michigan game happens. And it's it's sort of, okay, you know, you expect that. Michigan's a great team. Um, and, then, and then you fast forward a little bit to the Nebraska game. And you're like, okay, something's wrong. And then things have just kind of slipped away over the last month or so with this six game losing streak. But yeah, you talked about that Marquette game. We were talking off air, you know, whether it was, you know, kind of a, a curse in disguise for them to win that game uh, and kind of set that bar really high. I think you and I both disagree. Um, a win's a win, no matter how you get it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's worthwhile to, to look back here at, at some of these Marquette clips and, and just sort of in general what Indiana was doing well earlier in the season, not only to kind of, you know, lift the collective spirits of, of Indiana fans, but also to kind of say, okay, if, if they're going to write this ship, if they're going to turn this thing around, how do they do it? You know, how does that start? And I've got a big piece coming out uh, tomorrow on just kind of, um, you know, what Indiana can do, what's going wrong, how they can fix it. That should be on inside the hall.com. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it really is a stark difference between, how the offense, I think both ends of the ball have struggled, but particularly the offense, how, how that looked a month ago and then what it looks like now. It's just a completely different team. And you and I have gone through all the different factors for that depth, injuries, you know, strategy from opponents, not making shots, all that sort of thing. Um, but it really is still kind of crazy just how quickly things have gone off the rails. Yeah. And it, you know, it's important to remember like, think about the things that happened in that game that now looking back were so uncharacteristic. You know, Indiana jumped off to a, a big lead. I mean, they came out just playing amazing defense. Yeah. Uh, you know, the first quarter of the game, they led 26 to 17. I'm looking at, at Ken Palm here. Indiana scored at least 20 points in every single quarter of that game, which is amazing for an offense that has been plagued by significant yeah. droughts. And they beat Marquette in every single quarter of that game. So even after jumping out to the big lead, they extended the lead all the way. Now, Marquette had an uncharacteristic shooting night. They were 5 of 23 from deep. I can't imagine they've had a a shooting night that bad again uh, since then. So that certainly helped, and they did miss some good looks. But look, we all remember watching that game. Indiana looked outstanding. So let's go back. Let's watch some clips, and let's, on the one hand, enjoy reliving this, and then on the other hand, bang our heads against the wall you know, wondering why this team hasn't been able to get back to that level of play since. Yeah, and just before I kind of dive into the first clip, you, you talked about Marquette missing shots. I actually thought that was one of Indiana's luckier defensive games of the season, um, as as well as they played Marcus Howard and, you know, held Marquette to a, a pretty low point total. I did think Marquette was missing shots in that game, which, you know, in, in other games since then, it, we've kind of seen the flip side of that where, you know, those defensive miscues and, and things that IU's committed 
have have cost them because teams have actually made shots. But one, one other note, too, I wanted to make just as a reminder is Zach McRoberts and Devontae Green did not play in that game. So that was a yeah. game where we were a little bit worried about, you know, kind of the depth in the backcourt and in the wings. Uh, Al Durham played, ended up playing 36 minutes. But Indiana didn't have a lot of ball handling depth that game. Obviously, it didn't end up hurting them. Um, but just a quick reminder in case anyone forgot. And you know who did play in that game and played well is Evan <laughs> Fitzner, who yes, he did. <laughs> has not done that since then. Uh, I don't have a clip of him, but I, I just figured I'd, I would mention that. He made four threes, of, uh, make, 16 points. What's that? He he was four yeah, four from yeah, downtown that was, that at sixteen was points. His best game of the year. Um, it's it it has not quite been there for Fitzner ever since. Anyway, uh, so yeah, going back and kind of looking through this game, watching some of the highlights, watching some of the game tape, what really stands out is the spacing. Just the, the amount of space that that Indiana has, particularly Romeo Langford, has to work with. And if you remember the Purdue game and and basically every game, the, the Michigan game, every game Indiana's played during the six game losing streak. It's just been a completely different, you know, kind of uh, kind of situation that Romeo Langford's going up against. Where, like, you'll see him kind of take the ball down here. Marquette's going to get set, and look at this left side of the floor. Jeez. I mean, the the center for Marquette right now is standing at, or I guess, the power forward is standing at the Big Ten logo, and there is no one on this left side of the floor. And and you know, Marquette's kind of trying to force the ball this way to the left side. Um, but, but when you have this much space, you know, even this strategy, you know, what are you going to confine him to? Because there's so much open space, he can just get to the basket. And so that's really the biggest difference between then and now is, is like, you know, the weak side, I think this is Demise Anderson here in the right corner. Marquette is sticking pretty tight to Demise Anderson because he's one, two, three, you know, four passes away. So that's, that's the biggest difference here. I, you know, Evan Fitzner had, had hit a couple shots by this point. So they're monitoring him making sure Al Durham is picked up. I mean, everyone is just kind of guarding the the role players on the floor. And that seems really obvious, but right now that's not the case. Like if this game happened today, I'm pretty convinced that this defender would be standing basically at this block, you know, maybe a slightly inside that kind of at the midline, this defender would be a little bit lower. He'd be kind of you know, probably on the edge of the lane here. Marcus Howard would be sunk a little bit farther down. And then this, you know, they'd probably be forcing this action toward this near sideline, but it would be into basically two or three extra help defenders. Uh, not the case here. Lots of open space, and you'll just see Romeo kind of go to work, and it's the threat of him you know, kind of attacking this open space on the left side that allows him to, to penetrate into the middle because he kind of starts going left, and then he'll cross over, get into the lane. And that's another thing I noticed was that Romeo, you know, he's got such good touch. He's so big. He's so strong. Uh, got great length, really skilled. So if he can get kind of, you know, in the lane, if he can get his his foot, you know, at the Big Ten logo or farther in, you know, get a step into the paint, he's generally going to have a pretty good chance of finishing those shots, right? Because you know, like I said, the touch, the size, the strength can just finish through people, but he's got to be able to get close enough to the basket, you know, within 10 or 12 feet or so to be able to make that a manageable shot. And lately, he just hasn't been able to get inside the paint. I mean, every time he tries to get into the lane, it's just two, three, four defenders blocking his path. And so, you know, he's not able to use that great touch, that length, that strength to power to the basket because he's taking off from so far away and he's go trying to go through so many people that it's just not possible. Like going through one guy here, he can do that because he's Romeo Langford, but making it two, three guys with great length, great strength, 
uh, it's just not quite the same shot. And so you're seeing that, you know, basically all of these easy looks like the one we just saw are just being taken away. It, it, it was amazing watching that and seeing the space as you highlighted it, because I think you're totally right. I mean, we haven't seen Indiana or Indiana be defended that way, because essentially, you know, now they would dare Romeo to drive in against a bunch of bigs, dare him to pass it, and then dare the Indiana player to make the outside shot. You know, and Romeo has been more than willing to drive into a stacked lane, but hasn't yet really shown the vision and or willingness to pass out a lot. And maybe that's because the shooters haven't really shown uh, an ability to make those shots. Do you just kind of a general question? Like, do you see more opportunities when he's driving in there to, to make passes out to open guys? Because I mean, if a defense is going to commit to something, they've got to give up something, you know? And so, right. you know, there have been guys open, you know, and, and, and Romeo does have good vision. We've seen it. So I wonder if it's just not trusting the shooters or, you know, sometimes the stubbornness of a superstar to think I can take this and score anyway. Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of both. You know, he's he's a good passer, but not an elite one. I think the the thing that kind of separates a lot of great passers, his size, you know, about six six. Um, the the pass that separates the good ones from the great ones is that weak side corner. Like when you come off the pick and roll, let's say you're on the left side, you go middle pick and roll to be able to hit that right side corner when the defender sinks in. He doesn't quite have that. It's a really hard pass. You know, that there's a reason that only guys like, you know, LeBron James, Luka Doncic, Ben Simmons, kind of these these bigger guards who who handle the ball a lot. And there really aren't many in college basketball, period. But, you know, if we're talking about Romeo as a top 10, you know, draft prospect, this is probably something that um, that's maybe worth nitpicking about him where he, he doesn't have that that cross court pass. He's, he's got an OK, you know, vision out of the pick and roll, kind of making pocket passes, hitting, you know, hitting cutters on dump off passes, things like that. Um, and I do think part of it is not trusting the shooters. I think part of it is probably, you know, he's so good getting to the basket and he's, he's so used to having those driving lanes that he's just accustomed to going to the rim and finishing himself. And he isn't quite, you know, it's not really his habit. It's not his nature to make those passes, even though he can be capable if he kind of makes the effort. So I, I do think those angles are there. I think teams have largely done a decent job, you know, using their length kind of putting their arms out, making those passing angles tough and kind of obscuring those lanes a little bit. Um, but, I, but I think that as, you know, teams continue to just force the ball out of his hands, that's something that maybe Romeo will look to a little bit more often, you know, see who's open, who's, where's the help defense coming from, and who does that leave open? You know, what's the consequence of that? And then finding that open man. It's funny. He, he was getting a lot more assists earlier in the year before yeah. – the Illinois game, he had, what, six, seven games with three or more assists, um, and he's had one since then. The Maryland game, he had three assists, and he hasn't gotten to four, gotten to five. And again, part of that is because other guys aren't finishing, uh, you know, but it, but it also seems like, you know, he also really wants to take it in there and try and score, and, you know, you're going to have to take some of that with an elite talent like that because he didn't, you know, he doesn't put up the numbers that he does because he's passive and, and, and wilts from, you know, a difficult situation. So, but hopefully something that, as this offense starts to find something to click and gets into a more rhythm, we can see more from him uh, moving forward. More Marquette yeah, you clips, about the please. That was fun. <laughs> well, one, one more quick point. I also think that the nature of those assists, just the type of passes that, that, that resulted in those assists are a little bit different too, yeah. because earlier in the year, when you had more space, you had more of, of, of kind of a, a continuity based offense. It was, you know, make the extra pass on a, on a ping, ping, ping sequence for an open three, you know, um, find yeah. a kickout pass. It was 
you know, draw the extra defender and then hit the open man rather than start the possession with an open man on you and basically allow the defense to zone up behind you. He, he didn't have, you know, it was a little bit easier to see where that help was coming from when it's, you know, just a, a guy kind of reacting to the drive rather than loading up on it to start, if that makes any sense. No, that's a good point. Next clip here, also from the Marquette game, uh, second half. It, it's kind of a similar phenomenon to what we saw in that that first clip, which is just Romeo Langford playing in space. So it starts with Justin Smith saving a ball out of bounds. He kicks it to Romeo on the right side. And pay attention to this, to, to the guy guarding Jawan Morgan, basically. He's going to have you know help side responsibility but also to these defenders here guarding Al Durham and Rob Finnessy at the, at the top of the key, kind of in the slots a little bit. Romeo's going to drive it right. He does a nice little in-and-out dribble to get by this initial help defender, Hauser. And this guy, this backline defender, I can't remember his name, but it's his job to kind of slide over. But because you know Marquette is wary of these shooters on the outside and Jawan Morgan here, who's such a great offensive threat, there's no backline defense at the, uh, at the basket. And this is what I'm talking about, where if Romeo can just get a foot or two in the paint, he can finish over guys because this is a contested shot, but he uses his length and his athleticism and his touch to just kind of get the ball up off the glass and go through the defender. So he doesn't need to be wide open to make these layups. He just needs to have a little bit of space. And again, he's able to get into the lane on the initial drive and kind of go up, power up for that layup. And like I said, lately, it's just opponents have not been allowing him to get into the lane. And then you also see in, in recent games, Purdue really stands out. This backside defender would just be stepping in to, to add this third set of arms to contest the shot. You know, that he wouldn't have to think and worry about, you know, who do I leave open? Like, am I risking someone getting a catch and shoot three? Because right now, in, opponents are just kind of seeding those shots to Indiana. They're, they're happy with them taking those shots if it means taking away Romeo Langford. It's amazing where he jump stops there. Like he's almost behind the backboard yeah. and he has the body control and the explosiveness to still make that look like an easy layup while contested. That, yeah, I mean, just, that just shows how talented he is. Where, yeah. He, he really likes that in and out dribble going right. Kind of getting to the bit. He did it against Maryland a couple of times where he kind of, you know, uh, he'll, he'll attack the outside hip of the big man with the in and out dribble, get to the baseline. And then, like you said, under the basket and just kind of leap sideways and go up and, and just the long arms and, you know, the touch around the basket allows him to just kind of finger roll it off the glass really nicely. So what needs to happen? I mean, do guys just need to start making shots? Like, is it, is it that simple that guys, you know, cause like in that clip, I mean, Justin Smith is also, there's no one within 15 feet of Justin Smith after he saved yeah. that ball, they weren't paying any attention to him. And I imagine if he were a better shooter, you know, to use your term, he'd have a stronger, you know, amount of gravity that would pull someone out there too, but he's not a threat cause he's not making them consistently either. Right. Yeah. I think, I think making shots is the biggest thing and it, it sounds really simplistic. I don't, I don't think that's super insightful just to say that, yeah, they got to make shots, but that's, that's it. You know, it's an offense can't function if you don't make shots, not only because I've said this before, not only because you're leaving empty, you know, empty possessions on the table by, by missing shots, you know, you need to make shots to score. That's obvious. But also, you know, you said the gravity kind of the, the respect that making shots commands, if guys aren't able to hit open shots, What's the point in guarding them if they're just going to miss anyway? Um, so that that's kind of where Indiana is right now. And I do think there are ways to work around that. I, I think you can, you know, maybe change the way you use certain people, um, you know, kind of rework uh, the personnel a little bit and then maybe rework the style to suit the personnel. Uh, I touched a little bit more on that in, in the piece that's coming out tomorrow. Uh, so I won't spoil all of that, but 
making shots is the biggest thing. And that's, that's kind of the, if you talk to the players, the coaches, that's kind of the thing that they hit on the most as well is they feel like they're getting decent looks. They feel like guys like Al Durham, Justin Smith, Zach McRoberts are getting pretty good shots, Rob Finnessy. Um, and, and they're just not making them. And that's the thing that Archie Miller keeps harping on is just, we're getting good looks. We're not making them. Justin Smith, you know, I'm, I'm getting shots. I'm, I'm getting the ball in places where I'm comfortable. I've just got to make shots. And, and they all kind of realize that it's just a matter of, can they actually do it? Yeah. The, uh, the returns have not been positive recently, but you know, that's the other thing. Like these guys are decent shooters and that's the thing. Like we have been abysmal recently. So that is to me, one reason for some hope that this gets turned around at least some is, yeah, we're not a great shooting team. We're probably not a good shooting team, but we're probably an average shooting team, you know, like, and if we just start making an average amount of shots, that would really make a big difference. So We'll see. You know, maybe maybe it's you know the law of averages kicks in and that helps, and maybe not. I mean, just have to see. Okay, what's next? Yeah, that's one thing I've been thinking about. Oh, sorry. The, the law of averages, like Indiana's only made a quarter of their threes in conference play. I mean, I know this is not a great shooting team, but that has to improve, right? I mean, you figure that at some point they'll they'll make three or four in a row, or you know they'll they'll have a game where they hit like you know. 10 out of out of 20 or something like that, just to kind of balance it out. Cause it, it seems impossible to me that they could continue shooting 25% from three for an entire season, but you know, m- maybe they could, <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't want to rule anything out at this point. <laughs> yeah. The next clip is from, uh, from Louisville. So, you know, obviously another one of Indiana's big wins this year coming from the second half. This is a, you know, pretty typical start to Indiana's offense running Romeo Langford off the Iverson cut with, you know, kind of a cross screen just to get him, space get him open a little bit can, can you describe and the iverson where, cut real quick ben especially for the podcast listeners yeah but, yeah so basically it's it's where you know a guard and obviously started with alan iverson he kind of popularized it starts basically on one elbow and basically just cuts across to the other elbow behind and iverson would do it a little bit you know closer into the mid-range not quite behind the three-point line um nowadays you see guys just start at the elbow cut across to the opposite wing and it's and a lot of times you'll see the, the the screen accompany that just to kind of get them the ball in a in a spot where they're comfortable. This is one of Romeo Langford's favorite spots on the floor. This right wing. Um, so this is just basically designed to get him a little bit of a, a step on his defender so he can catch the ball and have room to work. So rather than just kind of so they stand, rather than just standing there, kind of stationary, get him on the move, get him the ball. Hopefully with maybe a little bit more space, just not quite so easy to, to exactly guard or right try to make a position or something. And, and have the ball denied or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, th- so they run the pick and roll here. And this is one thing that I think Indiana could do a little bit more of is use Justin Smith as a role man, because obviously he's a great athlete. I, I think he's a really smart cutter. I think he's a, a smart player in general. Um, and a guy that if he gets decent looks around the basket where he doesn't have to think too much and doesn't have to dribble too much can actually be a pretty good finisher around there. And we actually talked about this clip, um, this particular play in the episode of this, we did after the Louisville game, uh, where you'll see Deron Davis come up here to the top of the key and Justin Smith, because, you know, this is where teams started to kind of key in on Romeo a little bit more. You'll see them, you know, bring the trap and force the ball out of Romeo Langford's hands. But what that does is like you said, when you do that, it's going to leave someone open. And here the person that they leave open is Justin Smith. And because Romeo doesn't have the passing angle here, he swings it on to Davis, creates the angle that's called shorting the pick and roll, dumps it inside for the N one layup. I mean, that's just that's pretty simple. That's something that 
you know, doesn't take a whole lot of ingenuity to do, but I think could really benefit Indiana if they just looked for that kind of thing more often. And it doesn't even have to be Deron Davis coming up and, and creating the angle. It doesn't have to be anything as elaborate as that. It can just be use Justin Smith as a role man, kind of read and react to what the defense does. And, you know, if he's open on the role, you get it to him. You know, the one thing I've noticed in these clips is the presence of someone that hasn't been around for a whole lot of this losing streak, and that's Deron Davis. And even though he's a guy who was only playing yeah. 10, 12, 13 minutes, he was really important when Indiana was playing better basketball because he's a really smart offensive player like what we saw right there. He's a threat in the post, so he gives you another scoring option when things aren't going well, and he spells Juwan Morgan and helps to you know take away some of that wear and tear that he gets banging down low. And so... You know, it, it, it's one of those things like I, I, I feel like that would have had an impact over these last four or five games. But we also entered the season not really knowing what we'd get from him coming off the Achilles. So it's almost like we got more than we thought earlier in the season. And now we've gotten less than we hoped for, you know, because of the ankle injury he suffered in that Illinois game. But he's for a guy whose minutes were limited. He had a really, really big impact on this team. Yeah, he did. And, and we've seen, you know, the cost of that the last few games where he he wasn't healthy for a while and he was only playing three, four minutes, couldn't really go. And now, you know, in the last game, he he's just been held out altogether. He's just been in street clothes. And what that does is it, it makes Indiana extremely thin on the front line. I mean, it's, it's Clifton Moore, it's Evan Fitzner, it's sometimes Jake Forrester, like these, these guys who ideally should not be playing major minutes are having to just spot Jawan Morgan and Justin Smith because they're tired because they're playing, you know, 38 minutes a game. And you just can't afford to do that all season. So at the very least, you know, Duran gives you a, a capable body uh, in the front court, a guy who's smart, a guy who's going to execute what you want to do, a guy who kind of knows the offense and can just fit in and give you some plus minutes. Uh, and, and right now, Indiana doesn't have any plus minutes in the front court other than its two starters. Yep. The next clip is from even earlier in the season uh, against Montana State. So, you know, take this with a, a grain of salt because Montana State is not um, what most of these Big Ten teams are defensively. No, and, but we were know, dominant that night against them, especially yeah. on the defensive end. And and schematically, they're running a 2-3. We haven't seen a whole lot of that recently against Indiana. It's been more man-to-man, almost like at times it seemed more like a box-and-one where you just kind of zone up the rest of the floor and key in on Romeo Langford. But at any rate, not a whole lot of zone against IU recently. Um, but this is this is a pretty, um, a pretty smart play, something that, you know, I think could be pretty effective and has been pretty effective and could work even against man-to-man because some of the, the defensive principles that are uh, in play here can apply also, you know, when, when teams are in man-to-man. So um, basically they're, they're posting Jawan Morgan. This is back when, you know, the offense ran almost exclusively through Jawan Morgan in the post and it wasn't quite Romeo Langford's show yet. He wasn't, he wasn't doing as much work with the ball in his hands. So they're going to bring Demise Anderson. He started over here in the right corner, going to come over to the left corner and th- this is something that you, where you see both maybe a remedy to Indiana's you know offensive struggles right now, and then also um, you know a, a difference in how they were guarded earlier in the year. I mentioned with those Marquette clips that they weren't they, they were being guarded in a different way, in, in a way that you know their role players were actually commanding attention. They actually had some gravity. This is before teams started laying off of shooters, so executing this specific thing might be a little bit different now because the defenses are going to play you a little bit differently, but I, something I still think could be pretty effective. I talked about Justin Smith as a cutter and how good he is. And that's, you know, you spend any time going and rewatching these games and, and just studying Indiana on film. And what really stands out about Justin Smith is how good he is as a cutter. I mean, he is just brilliant. When his man turns his head, he is cutting to the basket. 
he's really athletic, really, really fast, really smart. And so he's been really good in that role for IU. Um, and, and it's, that's something that I think could, could unlock him a little bit more as well. I talked about using him as a role man. I think using him as a cutter kind of works the same way. You know, if, if teams are just going to lay off you, if they're going to abandon you on the perimeter, cut through that open space, you know, use that as a way to get to the basket rather than just kind of standing around and you know, letting the defense not guard you. So here they entered the ball of Juwan Morgan. Like I said, man turns his head. Justin Smith immediately sees that and he's going to cut back door layup. And what you'll notice is this is where I was talking about the way they're defended. Watch this guy on the back, you know, the back side here and help position. Mm. He's kind of torn between stepping up and being a help defender and staying on Rob Finnessy. So is this guy at, at the elbow right here. You know, they want to, they're, they're kind of, you know, splitting the difference between whole hog helping and just staying out on shooters and staying home. And that gives Justin Smith just a wide open space in the middle of the lane. Nice finish around the basket and Indiana gets a bucket. I would have to think now that defender that was on Devontae Green would be packed almost all the way into the paint, either doubling Juwan or to take away the cut. The guy guarding Finnessy probably stays about where he is because Finnessy has been a pretty consistent shooter. But, you know, Devontae, especially yes. on catch and shoot, has not been good at all this year. Which, you know, people yeah, learn as, as so the too. scouting and- report gets out on you. Right. Yeah. The teams have the book on Indiana now, and that's, that's where the challenge is because you can't do the same things that were working for you early in the year. And just, you know, in, in kind of, in kind of having so few options, Indiana has just become really predictable. And so they have to, what they have to do now is kind of find a way to, to work out of that. You know, how do you, how do you change things up? How do you add a different element to the offense? How do you, how do you give teams a different look so they can't just, you know, expect what you're going to do and, and anticipate that and take it away. Um, I don't, I don't totally know all the answers to that, but uh, hopefully the the coaching staff might. So the next play here is, uh, is, is kind of, this is kind of the counter, you know, the, the, oh, the no. contrast to the Marquette <laughs> clips that I was showing where we saw in, in those, in those clips in that game, lots of open space for Indiana to use. And, and, you know, Romeo Lankford could drive basically wherever he wanted because the lane was open, the, the floor was spaced, you know, guys weren't, he wasn't seeing five defenders on, on every drive. This is, is basically the opposite. And it kind of speaks for itself. He's going to fake the handoff with Rob Finnessy and actually does a decent job because Ryan Klein, who's on him, kind of gets stuck behind the play, does a, a nice job recovering. But watch number 24, and I think this is Nojel Eastern mm-hmm. on the backside guarding Jawan Morgan. They are both going to slide over, and then Matt Harms comes in as well. That's three guys contesting Romeo Langford's shot. He does that same kind of thing where he gets a foot outside the paint behind the basket and kind of explodes to the basket uh, like we saw him do against Marquette. The difference is he's going up against a seven-foot-two center with an additional defender kind of threatening to come over and contest as well and two guys on his back. Look at, at Justin Smith and Zach McCarves. No one is paying any attention to them. Nope. And and even Jawan Morgan, who, you know, if Romeo saw this dump off pass, maybe that's an open dunk or something. But basically, Rob Finnessy is the only person that's getting any attention from Purdue. And that's only because Carson Edwards was just kind of in that spot on the floor. It's not even like he's trying to take away this pass for Rob Finnessy. He's just kind of there. And so, you know, kind of speaks for itself. Romeo gets stuffed. And that was kind of the story of that game for him. He just couldn't get anything going. And then followed it up with a similar kind of thing against Northwestern and, and Michigan. His teams are just doing the same game plan against him every game. And it's it's because he just doesn't have the same space. And there's no there's no penalty for leaving guys like Zach McRoberts and Justin Smith open right now. Uh, there's no way to hurt a defense for doing that. And 
that's that's just been Indiana's Achilles heel, like we've been saying for a month now. The other thing that really stood out there is even as Romeo's starting that action, there's just no real movement off the ball. I mean, yeah. Juwan Morgan was kind of standing there in the short corner, flat-footed, just kind of spectating. And I don't know exactly what he should have done, but he didn't look ready to receive a dump-off pass either, you know? And, and, and I don't know if, you know, Justin could have cut, you know, maybe step in around the free-throw line. Same with McRoberts. I mean, you want them to be spaced, but there's just nothing. Like, it's almost like... You know, and and look, I do think in that Purdue game, Romeo was especially in the second half was especially like heads down. I'm going and taking it. And if that is happening, you know, to a certain extent, if you don't feel like there's a chance of you getting the ball, you're naturally just going to kind of watch and see what happens. But I mean, you would like to see some kind of movement, something. I mean, the other guys on offense there were just doing nothing. And that whoever, whatever the reason is for that, that's just no way to run consistent offense. Yeah. And a good contrast to that is. The clip we showed from the Purdue game last week, um, the, the clip I tweeted out where Purdue, they, they ran that dribble handoff with Carson Edwards coming off the screen. And then on the on the weak side, they basically just ran a simple pin down that wasn't really designed to, to go anywhere. It was just kind of a decoy to keep the defense occupied. You compare that to, to that, that last clip for Indiana, Smith and McRoberts on the weak side, they're like you said, they're just standing. You know, maybe if you if you move them, if you if you put them in motion, you set a screen cut, do something, you at least draw the defense's attention and keep them occupied. Uh, there was none of that. And so that makes it all the more easy for, for teams to just step in and, and take away Romeo. Yeah. Are we ending on that clip? Is that going to be the... Yeah, that's all I got. I can oh. show the first one again. I yeah. can show the first yeah. one again. Sh- show us the Marquette clip again. I, I, okay. I want to okay, I remember fine. better times. Please. <laughs> yeah, just, just compare ah, there that we last go. one. With, okay. I mean, look at all the space and just finishes over a, a weaker center. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's fun to imagine too, what would happen if, if Romeo had just kind of gone left and just taken this route to the basket. Uh, I don't, I don't know what would have happened because we didn't see it, but you know, that, that was an option back then at the very least. And, and these days it is not. Hmm. All right. Well, look, the season is, uh, it's gotten late fast, six straight losses for Indiana. Michigan State on Saturday, that's going to be no walk in the park. But this game against Rutgers is going to be no walk in the park either. This is a team that's playing much better. They're playing really confident. It's a particularly bad matchup for Indiana, as we talked about on Banner Monday. So there's a lot of reasons why I know you know no one wants to get excited about a one- or two-point victory against Rutgers. Just trust me, if Indiana can squeeze out any kind of win in this game, it will be a big achievement for the Hoosiers, considering where they are right now and the particular problems they've had and the particular challenges this Rutgers team faces. Don't go into this game thinking, oh, this is a game we should win by 10, and if we don't, and if it's a struggle, it's a bad sign. Rutgers is probably the better team right now, like over the last you know, three or four weeks, which isn't saying a lot because Indiana's been awful, but just, just set your expectations properly, I think, going into this game, and hopefully we see you know, something, you know, resembling, you know, what we saw in that Louisville game and that Marquette game and that Montana State game in terms of just movement and energy and confidence and, you know, all those things. Because um, I imagine Rutgers will defend us the same way. So we're going to have to make some shots, move the ball, and, you know, hope that we can just get something going on offense. Good gracious. Yeah, I don't, I don't have much more to add to that. I would add that, you know, I guess I would say that um, you know, maybe compare it to the Northwestern game. We're like same kind of thing. Northwestern's kind of a not totally a seller dweller in the Big Ten, but a you know bottom tier Big Ten team at least coming into the season. And they beat Indiana. And so you know how, how much would Indiana fans like to just have that victory, even if it's just one points or two points? 
you know, so you just, you take these things any way you can get them at this point in the year. Yep. All right. Well, Ben, thank you as always for your work here on basketball 201. You said that piece is coming out on inside the hall later today or tomorrow. Should be tomorrow, probably tomorrow morning. Okay. So we'll be watching that. We'll tweet it out from the assembly call account uh, and everybody should follow you. B Ladner underscore. Is that it on Twitter? That's right. Okay. Yep. Excellent. All right, Ben, thank you. Thank you, everybody, for watching live. Thank you for listening on the podcast. We will talk to you all again Wednesday night after IU Rutgers for what will hopefully be a much-needed and long-awaited victorious episode. We'll see, but we'll talk to you after the game. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.